what you're saying. Now, Robert, don't hang on my every word. My only talent is I remember things. That's really it. I mean, in terms of the different styles of memory uh, and intelligence, that's like one eighth. There's a, there's a whole visual memory, there's, there's, there's a whole uh, focus based intelligence, interpersonal in terms of days. So what? I'm a walking encyclopedia, I'm a millipedia, who cares? It's a medium, it's not important. What's important is, I have to get you to engage the content. Alright? And in doing so, I have to sort of take a step back and not play your tendency to want me to spoon feed and baby bird the answers to you. I have to take a step back and let you get your hands dirty. Like, I had to do, what, how many years ago? Two years ago, I don't date myself. Two many years ago. Alright? And I had to get my hands dirty and stuff too. Alright? That's how you achieve mastery. And to that end, today you're going to answer. Alright? We're going to look at today the two different camps in terms of views of the Constitution. The Federalists, which we kind of know pretty well their doctrine from Federalist 10, our examination last time. And today's focus, the anti Federalists. So let's talk about them today. Focus on the enemies of the Constitution. Because so for you to just say, Constitution is perfect. Well, that, that unilateral thinking is very foolish. Anything that man breaks, man makes, can break. So you need to leave everything as infallible. So everything as if it might fail. And some people would say that our Constitution has already failed. His name is John Foster. Now, <laughs> all year round, all year. Let me give you a preface, a little brief background before we dive into these documents in the small teams. Alright? Watch out, Patrick, you got a little bit of a nation thing going on. Kick out that, kick out those legs, kick them out. You got those legs. Strike those legs with your feet, pick them outwards so that you don't lay the tail over. Thank you. 
the collaboration of Lepidus, Octavian, and Mark Antony defeated the other triad of Pompey, Brutus, and Cassius. And then Octavian was installed as the first emperor, and now known as Augustus. Democracy can very easily become dictatorship. That's what we're worried about. That's going to be a theme today. Okay, now, over here. Some names, some very prominent people who were all about states' rights who were not at the convention because they were off on diplomatic duties. Our favorite uh, race mixer himself, TJ, Thomas Jefferson. He wrote a document, the Declaration, that was all about liberty, all about freedom. Now, his own protege, his own little Jefferson Jr., Madison, Remakes the document based on stability and order? Oh, he must have been bitter. But luckily, he was in Paris as serving as Minister of France. Having a good old time, you should read about that. There's whole books written on his, his Paris experience. It reads more like uh, TMZ, the National Political <laughs> Uh Also, an individual who I think in history gets a bad rap, a bad reputation for being better at consuming alcohol than being a statesman was Samuel Adams. <laughs> One of the key members of the, of the group of him, John Hancock, and some other individuals like George Washington pushing for independence. Their push for independence is, is not that far away really, guys. We're looking at a matter of maybe, what, 15, 14 years? Wasn't that long ago that people like him were pushing for freedom, and he's going to squarely come down on this side. Speaking of people, the patriots like him, let's talk about good old give me liberty or give me death himself, Patrick Henry. We'll throw him in here. They asked Patrick Henry to come to the convention. He flatly refused. He was a real piece of work, apparently. He's really like that. He's a very powerful orator. So he tended to keep his, his spot. So here we have the sides are drawn. All right. Now it's all about what, they're, what the doctrine's all about. Change colors if you have that ability. I do. Talk about the main concepts. We talked about exactly what these people were all about. We talked about stability. We talked about order. Over here in this camp, they're the opposite. Then they're going to be all about what? Can you make a um for Can I have what? Oh. I'll see John Locke. Oh, finish your thought. Uh, Take a no, risk. No, because he wasn't really uh, he was English. He wasn't really He wasn't really talking about it. He just kinda proposed it. We're clear, we clarify, we're good. Yeah, we yeah. 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 Finally, man. Yeah. Took my job over from Now <laughs> The Federalist vision of the United States, what they're all about. What they want to see is a powerful commercial industrial society based on urban cities. That's what they want. They see America and they already like places like New York City. They love them from Philadelphia. Boston, oh they love Boston. Even down south. Charleston, the only deep water port they really had there until they started developing Florida more. All right, we're looking at 
a commercial center, a center of industry, and a urban-dominated society. They love commerce and industry and urban centers. If the anti-federalists are the opposite, then what are they primarily concerned about? What is their vision for America? Uh, raise the hand. Woo! Your hand up. DQ, you got this? Is it an agriculture society? There's a word for that. Agriculture society and the two nouns together. Say the word agrarian. 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 Yes, coming from the Latin prefix agri. Referring to the ground, referring to the earth, nurturing crops from the earth. Agriculture implies that you're living off the land. We now have agribusiness. We have corporate farms. I'm not joke. Huge corporations. The old McDonald's not make our food anymore. Now it's new McDonald's. But different. Alright, <laughs> We'll talk about that. That's political consequences. We're looking at an agrarian society. In Jefferson's vision, he wants individuals to own their own land, which is huge. This influence on property, even Madison mentions it in Federalist 10, the property rights that every American should have. I mean, look at how vast America is on a world scale. Now, mind you, at that time, they were only on the eastern seaboard, and the seas and manifest destiny are already inside their head. All they see is enough land for everybody in the world. Literally, going over the Appalachian Mountains and looking at the rest of America, what's been like? A rural land of all. It's all ours, bro. We got this, homie. Hey, I'm right here. I'm already here. I know that you're not going to be colored if I can. That would be us, like, yes, yes. Hence, the comes Anyway, um, the idea is simple. There's enough land for everybody. Everyone should own their own land. Get out of the city. Become a landowner. And by becoming a landowner, thereby you gain political, political rights. Remember, only white landowners could vote at that time. They had, you know, a kickstand. So the issue is clear. Activate the citizens by making them own their own land and work their own land. And through that, they have their own wealth. Through their own wealth, they can get educated. Jefferson rejected the idea of the urban centers to stuff that people in the city were stupid. They did not have a means to have the leisure time. They spent all their time working in these shops, and they had no chance to study. He thought that was the wrong way to go. And ideally, I think Jefferson's idyllic, uh, you guys know what the word idyllic means? Ideal? That explains me. Idyllic. Idyllic? An idea that's. Ideal. It's not ideas. It's not idea. It's ideal. Do you know what kind of poem?
Keisha, tribute, shout out, right? The poet Keats wrote many odes to many things. So did John Dunn. Ultimately spelled with a U or an O, depending on whether you are a great Britain or American. O to the trees, O to the river, whatever, a dedication, shout out, boom, 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 all right? And Ideal is a kind of poem specifically about the beauty of nature. So it's a, you can do an ode to anything, but an ode to nature is an ideal. So the word idyllic means something utopian involving nature. That's what Jefferson thought America could be. Like a hang garden to Babylon for everyone. We could all live in. And he saw the people who want to spoil that by adding this big, I mean, the city was a dirty, filthy place back then too. Open sewers. Rats running around, big pile of trash everywhere. It's not a clean place to be. He saw that being an undoing of his natural dream for a land-owning, peaceful, prosperous America. Where all of us going around with straw hanging out of our mouths. Wearing overalls with dirty fingernails. That's awesome. Hey, man. <laughs> That's the earth. Can't be that dirty. Now. The vehicle to achieve this transformation, if you're a federalist, is going to be the national government. So this much more favors national power, federal government power, over state power. Because the states were already kind of idyllic. It would take the coordination of the national powers through the, inter the interstate commerce powers transform America, to boost up the commercial sectors, the industrial sectors, to get to where Hamilton really wanted to be. And in reality, this is really Hamilton's baby. He's the real engine behind all this. Over here, the master of states rights himself, TJ, he's all about state power. He has a distrust of national power. National power is too far removed from the people. The states know the people better. The states should be the ones running most of the game, according to him. I've been told to slow down, so now I'll stop and do the same thing for a second and wait for questions. State, right? Percolate knowledge, percolate knowledge, sink, 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 sink. Sink and Absorb, absorb, absorb. Filter, filter, filter. And we're good? Anthony, good? Step, good? I proceed. Now. Back to the black All right, now, let's talk about the Constitution in particular. How this relates. Obviously, the Federalists won out over the anti-Federalist voices when we're looking at the convention. The Constitution, as we've seen, definitely favors the national government over the state governments. And it's partially the anti-federalist's own fault. They should have been there. They should have demanded to be in that room. 
Let's think of this. Let's say I go off to make copies or whatever, leaving you in the assignment, and when you come back, you've all decided um, that you want to have, I don't know, a pizza party at some point. Yeah, shall I? Usually, you help with me after the example, not during. Uh, so, then when I come back, you say, guess what, Miller, we decided, boom, pizza party. And I start trying to veto it, like, no, we can't do that, I like burritos instead, what are you doing? What right do I have to change the outcome of what you all decided? Assuming we're all equals, good job, uh, that's, good, that's a good point. Assuming that I, I, I foster this, this environment of equality among all of us. I don't, right? Why don't I, Carlos? Why do I have no say in your decision? And where was I when we made a decision, when we voted on this? I was not in the room, I wasn't here. That's why we always say, the first thing you vote with is your feet. Being physically present is the most basic aspect of democracy. People in the room tend to make decisions. Now everyone says, well, Miller, did Hamilton purposely not invite some people? Probably, if he's smart. That's what I would have done. If you know someone's going to hate your idea, do you want them in the room to shoot you down, one of your colleagues? Hell no. But you need some of them that they're backing at least to legitimize what you're trying to achieve. People in the middle, people who are like, I don't know, I'm kind of torn, would be people like Benjamin Franklin, for example. Not a voting member of the convention, but there to serve as the president of the convention to give it legitimacy. Franklin was by far the most famous American after he conquered lightning and what happened to the lightning's electricity. He's well known, his almanac is the best selling book in America. To have a superstar like him in the room helps to legitimate what's going on in that room. So people like Franklin are kind of in the middle. He will be a voice to soothe and calm people down when it gets all heated. Other main people in the room would include one of the greatest military minds of this generation, people are only now realizing this, when I study his moves, the illustrious George Washington. Again, he doesn't really have a stake in either way it goes. He just wants to see the articles improve. As America's most respected military leader and whatnot, he's seen America be trashed in the world scene due to its ineffective articles government. He just feels shame. He's like, we gotta get better, boys. We gotta do this. Something has to get better. I didn't leave people with their debt to be maimed by cannon shells and whatnot, and be run through with bayonets and go against German mercenaries just so that we can be a laughing stock of the world. We deserve better. And by me being here, my mom, boy Ben Frank being here, <laughs> now the whole world's watching. Like, whoa, all right, the heavy hitters in America are reorganizing stuff. Breaking news, it's just in, you know what I'm saying? It can swing either way. But if you are an anti-federalist, one thing really makes you angry. There's no real guarantee of state rights in this document. Sure, Madison gives a compelling argument in Federalist 10, separation of powers will preserve minority rights through, through pluralism. 
the competition of ideas that means no idea can dominate for too long. But that's a very theoretical answer. That's not good enough for an anti-federalist. They want it in writing. So they push Madison to add some amendments to the document before any state with an anti-federalist majority agrees to ratify. They want a Bill of Rights. In fact, they demand a Bill of Rights. And thank God they did. I'm going kind of like that. I want to see my rights on, on paper. Without anti-federalists, you would not have amendments 1 through 10, which arguably is the backbone of our criminal justice system. So thank God for them. I think the textbooks portray them as being kind of whiny, because by the time of the founding fathers, some of these names, especially these two guys, are kind of out of favor. Like, ah, you guys are great for the revolution, but now you're passe, you're old. They're like, they're like the political expendables. Here's Schwarzenegger, and here's you know, Bruce Willis. <laughs> you're not relevant anymore. But these new guys haven't proven themselves yet. The same way we don't have a new action star yet. We're close in terms of the evolution of Jeremy Renner. We're getting there. We're almost there. And Jason Statham. We're almost there. A new group, but they have not put out any seminal works yet. It's like, aha, diehard quality. Aha, Terminator quality. You haven't seen it in this new group. More legacy, uh, Avengers, and uh, Expendables. Eh, you know, we're not, it's not quite like classic work yet. So these guys are still relevant as long as these guys are unproven. And they use their last withering political power just far enough to secure a bill of rights. But they still distrust the Constitution. They, they smell elitism. They smell money interest. This is the very beginning. will be good enough. But of course, they eventually yield. Madison gets kind of turned by the side over here and close to the middle himself to form a compromise to write the Bill of Rights himself. But at first, they thought that all you need to get the trust in S&P, or S&P, sorry, and C&B. The separation of powers, checks and balances, will check elite control as the various elites battle each other for being king of the hill. In that battle each other, they have no time to stomp on minority rights because they're too busy trying to control the government. And with the Federalist distrust, if they distrust the elites, the Federalists distrust whom if they're the opposite? We'll ask that again. I lost the table, so we'll come back over here. Very high breadth of GPA at this table, too. Surprising. Maybe they know everything. Let's test that out. If 
the anti-federalists distrust the top 10%, and the federalists are the opposite of the anti-federalists, then one of you at this table tell me who the federalists would naturally distrust. Simple logic. Anti-Fed hates elites. Fed being the opposite, would hate the opposite of the elite, yes? Who might that be? Exactly. The common people. The uneducated. The stupid. Distrust of lower class. These are the people who invented such things as the Electoral College. Alright? They do not want majority rule. That's the key word here, is badge rule. They don't want to rule by the badge. Now, we've read Federalist Papers, at least one of the seminal works. Number 10. Have you heard of the word seminal before? And I don't mean like a Native American from Florida. That's seminal, it's different. Seminar. Seminar. Exactly. Seminar. In a seminar, what do you do this? About what? Some central topic, yes, yeah, central theme, right? And you're devoting that to only that theme. No seminars are on random whatevers. Seminar is very focused. A seminal work is the same way. It's a work that embodies the essence, the focus of a larger group of, of topics. Now, the idea of the essence comes from that prefix right there, not semi, it's half. Just sem. Kind of refers to a certain part of male biology that expresses the essence of our, of our madness. It kind of goes back to a biological thing as well. Everybody asks me about my vocabulary. How did you, how did you? I know my Latin and my Greek. That's how. Now, I want to give half of you a modern critique, very scathing critique too, of the Constitution, as written by British, uh, um, he's passed away now, sadly, British political theorist Alvin Toffler. Who basically, he's writing in the 70s and 80s, basically the Constitution is outdated, it's, it's flawed in the very beginning, and definitely argues from the anti-federalist point of view. All right? That's a modern critique, it's a two-pager, all right? But it's a small test, so it's really going to more like a four-page. Maybe it helps out some of this. Sorry, I'm trying to blow it up and start making weird copies. And I'm like, I can't figure it out. You can figure it out. And then I want to go to the old school, the anti-federalist papers, of which there are many authors that you might know. Governor Morris, who was a pretty you know, influential individual from Pennsylvania. William Mason, of which there is a national university named after him. George Mason as well, no relation actually, kind of weird. 
I think both of them are actually also Freemasons, which is too many Masons. <laughs> My son's a Mason, by the way. So that is a Mason and Mason. Uh, and I have here the first anti-Prolist paper, a rebuke of Publius, written by a collective authorship with the pseudonym of Brutus. What's the, uh, what's the symbology of that? Who knows our Julius Caesar history? Oh, he was? From Greek or from Rome? He's a Roman. He was. He was a rival of who? Of the king, right? Of Caesar's, yes. Yes, you know the story of Julius Caesar's assassination? Are you serious? Yeah. What, did you learn any Roman history? That was sixth grade. How did you get into the Republic and not know about the Roman Republic as well? Alright, let me tell you this quick, quick and dirty story. Julius <laughs> Caesar just got done conquering the Gauls. Way too loud, coach. It's a story. Where are the Gauls from? The what? Where are the Gauls? Thinking that Lincoln 
due to his wartime powers given to him by Congress, had become a tyrant and had gone past the line of president and gone into a, a mini dictatorship sort of mode. Again, you can imagine the Gulch movement was all about state power. So that's why the pen name of our good friends, the anti federalists their student name is Brutus. Like, no, we must reject the Constitution before it's too late, before they establish a new tyranny in the American homeland. That's bigger thought for those people whose eyes are a little bit challenged. You can read that one there too, bigger thought. So I have eight copies of each. I think we need to organize in groups of threes. We can organize in the triads. And read this. You may do so actively, you may mark on this. I'm all about marking on this. And then once you're done reading that and digesting it a little bit, I got a little assignment that I brought from this camp to help break everything down for you. Because now we're entering into the fun stuff. We're going to break down some real documents here. We are so stoned. Oh, that's so stoned. Yeah. Sadly, that's a lot of what you do in college if you study history. So, you know, it doesn't go away. Now, who wants to go old school? What triad? First off, organize your triads. Figure out whether you want to read the old school or the new school. Let me know your choice. There's an A to each. So we can do a full, we can do 16 groups if you wish. Or we can do eight groups of. Um, Does it really matter? Uh, With multiple copies. Uh, really, uh, I don't want to do four mayor groups. <laughs> I want individuals to not be left out. I want everyone to have a voice there. Some of you like to hide in big groups. You're called free riders. The group gets a grade, 